Elimination. The Raging Cajuns will be a source of pride for this university, for the alumni, fans, and donors as we achieve success in the classroom, in the competitive arena, and in the community. It's about to get really fun. We're looking for dudes that will stand up. Well, Coach, let me tell you today, I'm here and I'm ready to stand up. And I challenge you, Raging Cajun Nation, to stand up with us. Stand up with us. Let's lock hand in hand. And let's walk through the gates of Omaha. Hey, I love y'all boys. Let's grind every day starting today. Let's do it. Y'all ready? Alarm! Alarm! Ready! Who's your team ready? Who's your team ready? That's up! I got one thing to say right here. Cajun win! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Ragin' Review Podcast. First game week of the 2022 season. Josh here with you, alongside the magnificent millennial, Mr. Jerry Bear, and the, I'm not sure what, Nikki D. Nick, what are you? Are you a Gen X or a Gen Zer? I am, uh, <laughs> well, I, first of all, I think we should call Jerry a boomer because we all know how he is with technology, right? Jerry's definitely an honorary boomer. There's no question about that. Definitely an honorary boomer. Um, I would consider, you know, I'm almost like Generation X, Generation Y. I don't know. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm an 80s kid, so we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Jerry, what do you have to say about that? I guess I'm an old soul. I don't know. I, <laughs> I can't help it. Jerry, who's your favorite music to listen to? Oh, gosh. Uh, Tell the I truth. Can, no, seriously, anything from classic rock to rap to 90s rock. Um, I got to I mean, be honest. I, I thought you were going to say Elvis. Because I think that happened one time. I thought so, too. <laughs> no, I'm a, you know, look, hey, I am a diehard Elvis fan. I will admit it. I like Elvis. I like Zeppelin. I like the Stones. I like the Beatles. I can listen to a lot of music anywhere from the 60s and 70s. Well, um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So just but then a hard time, buddy. But then there's the other half of me that likes 311, Incubus, Lil Wayne. Uh, I got a buddy of mine that's doing a um, a tribute emo band. Uh, so I like bands like Blink-182. Yeah, I, I know. it's my, my variety is all over the place. So You're like uh, back in the day, the old Teague, where it had a very wide variety yeah. of music. It's that you fit right into that. That was me. That was all me. The mix was perfect for that. I know we talked about that before. And I, I, I that, you know, what they used to play at the Teague is, is Jerry's style of music, which is pretty much everything. <laughs> I think the kids call it having range. Maybe it's the old heads that call it having range. Whatever the case is, it's a good thing, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nothing wrong with I that. listen to a little big band from time to time, a little Frank Sinatra, a little, you know, Bing Crosby. Nothing wrong with that. You Especially know. around Christmas time. Bing Crosby comes in handy around Christmas time. It's no Charles Brown, but yeah, you know, a little Crosby here and there. There's nothing yeah, wrong with that. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So anyway, we have a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, obviously, uh, we're going to kind of circle back to Chandler Fields being named quarterback one, and we're going to spotlight him. We're going to let Jerry take you uh, – kind of back to his high school days and talk about the Catholic League and, and his journey to being named the starting quarterback for Louisiana. Um, we're going to talk about our thoughts on the Sun Belt, both East and West divisions. Lots to say about that. Uh, it, what's great about being in a great league is there's so many storylines, so many different unknowns that we're going to kind of work our way through as we go throughout the season. Um, we're also going to talk about, we're going to give you guys a ticket update and a tailgating update. Uh, apparently there's some good news on those bo uh, both of those fronts. Uh, and a few other things, so stay with us. You know, uh, we have a lot to talk about, as always. But the very first thing we're going to do is we're going to let Jerry get us acquainted with 
Chandler Fields, quarterback one, starting quarterback of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns in 2022. Jerry, take it away. Yeah, no problem. So as you all know, Chandler Fields won the battle between him and Ben Wildridge uh, this past offseason. Following in the big footsteps of, of Levi Lewis, who is will go down as the winningest quarterback in Louisiana Rage Occasion football history. So, of course, Chandler has some big shoes to fill. But I wanted to mention a little bit about his background and his past. Uh, he is from New Orleans. Um, he played in the Catholic League. He actually started at Holy Cross High School. Uh, started his sophomore year as a as a starting quarterback at Holy Cross, which in the Catholic League, when you're a starting quarterback as a sophomore, that is a very impressive feat. Um, you know, the Catholic League has this reputation for having really good quarterbacks come out of there. I actually experienced a few myself uh, when I was a Jesuit. Uh, we had two quarterbacks during my five years there. Uh, two of them went play college. One of them played behind Mike uh, Desermo here at UL. So when you're a starting quarterback in the Catholic League, uh, really the Catholic League has a very pro style. Their, their offenses are very much pro style, a little bit of spread mixed in there. Most quarterbacks have to have a good arm to play in the Catholic League because a lot of them are pocket passers with a little mix of run, uh, which is what Chandler is. Uh, Chandler, he is he's a gunslinger, but he can also, you know, ha he also has some wheels. That's actually a huge advantage uh, for us because I do think it's going to give defenses more homework to do preparing for a quarterback like that. Um, his junior year, he transferred to Rummel, Rummel High School in Metairie. And he actually started both his junior and senior year. Um, pretty impressive stats overall in those two years. 375 attempts, completed 216 of those passes, threw for 3,079 yards for 31 touchdowns and eight interceptions. So that TD to interception ratio is pretty impressive to say the least. Um, he also ran for 528 yards in those two seasons with seven rushing touchdowns. Believe it or not, uh, he was, I believe, the first big-name quarterback that Billy Napier recruited after his first season here because uh, Chandler did graduate in the class of 2019. So, of course, Billy's first year um, was 2018. And after that 2018 season, when Andre Nunez um, graduated, you know, we all knew Levi was going to be the quarterback, but there were question marks of whether or not we were bringing in a junior college quarterback or we bringing in a transfer. And one of those names in that mix was indeed Stetson Bennett. Remember him? Quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs, national champion. He was very close to committing here. And then I believe uh, being from Georgia, he just said, you know, I'm going to go walk on. And we all know the story of what happened from there. Uh, it was a big story last year of how he worked his way up. And uh, the school that he left was was Louisiana. So I think it, the gamble worked out for him. But in the meantime, uh, Chandler committed in that same class. So he was the big quarterback name uh, to come out of Rummel. And, uh, you know, he's put his time in. He's he's worked while he's waited and uh, he earned that spot. It was a very tough quarterback competition. So uh, I've had the chance to meet him. I met him after the uh, on the field after the championship game. Seems very humble, very focused. Uh, if you've listened to some of his interviews, he's not really he's not a, a loud guy. Um, he's a very focused player. Uh, he knows what he has to do, and he's gonna he's gonna grind. Very similar to Levi. 
very business oriented, very business oriented, very much a team player. And you can tell the locker room and the team reacts to him. So just wanted to give a little bit of background of who Chandler was. Again, a quarterback that comes from the Catholic League. Maybe I'm a little biased, but a lot of them are very good quarterbacks, some of which have gone play in the SEC and some of which in the past have gone pro. So uh, hopefully Chandler follows in his footsteps. And um, oh, very happy that he got the job and looking forward to seeing what he can do next Saturday. Jerry, for people that are not too familiar with Louisiana high school football or, or, or just kind of the Catholic League in general, general, why is the Catholic League so highly thought of and what does it provide the intangibles for players? And why does it seem like, like every time we get a commitment from a Catholic League player, they're just they're rife with leadership skills? So let me give you an example. Now, I'm, I'm using this as an example for me being a Jesuit graduate, okay? Because I, I actually went to school with a bunch of guys who ended up playing college, you know, and they're not just in football, but in baseball as well. One thing they push in the Catholic League at any school you go to, whether it's Jesuit Brother Martin, St. Augustine, or as we know, a St. Aug, Rummel, Shaw, Holy Cross, discipline. That is a huge characteristic that these schools push for. Uh, it, it includes discipline and leadership. And just speaking from an angle at Jesuit, uh, you didn't get a free pass no matter who you were. I mean, you could be a all-state player and you can be getting recruited by any school you want in America. You don't make the grades, you don't play. And so that kind of creates a little bit of work ethic that creates a little bit of leadership skills within that. And, and like I said, the discipline. So these players, uh, one thing you'll learn when you watch a Catholic league team is that because of those traits, they're very fundamentally sound. Um, I remember when Jesuit came to town and I think it was like 2014, they had played St. Thomas more in a playoff game. And one of my buddies who's a coach came with me, we went and watched the game. And that's one of the things he said about Jesuit was that they're very disciplined. And so anytime you get a player from the Catholic league, you're going to get disciplined. You're going to get guys with leadership qualities and it shows on the field. I mean, another example for us is Sonny, ha uh, Sonny Hazard. He's a, he's a Jesuit grad, another one. Um, you look at, I mean, you look at some of the guys from Jesuit Rummel, uh, I'll just give you some examples, some players in the NFL right now, Jamar chase from rumble, right? You got, uh, Dion Jones playing for the Atlanta Falcons. He's been playing for almost a decade from Jesuit. You've got Foster Morrow from Jesuit. You've got, I mean, Trey Regis went to Shaw, uh, Tyron Matthew went to St. Aug. Um, I mean, those are just a few names that the Catholic league has been able to, to bring these are the, these are some of the names that the Catholic League has been able to produce as far as uh, NFL talent. So there's a there's a rich history there. Um, I mean, growing up in New Orleans, like you, it's not about what college you went to; it's what's high, what high school you went to. And a lot of times, it was the Catholic League that got involved in that. I mean, even back in the day, I mean, we can sit here all day and talk about the NFL talent that has come through the Catholic League. So I just want to tell people: anytime you get a Catholic League player on scholarship. That is a really, really, really good thing. That's a good sign because a lot of times, a lot of those Catholic League players, they don't go to UL. They end up at LSU. They end up at a P5. They go out of state. And so anytime the Cajuns are able to land one, you know, of course, for me, I'm excited because it's a Catholic League player, but also, you know, you're going to get a good athlete overall to really contribute to the team. What do you think about him in particular? And I don't know how much interaction you've had with Chandler uh, personally, but what do you think, what strikes you about him uh, that, that gives you confidence that he can lead the team? I know that we've talked about this often, 
And we we kind of had a feeling around spring ball that that it was Chandler. And it's not just the seniority. It's not just the fact that he's gotten game time reps. Was there a little extra about him that that kind of lended itself to let you know that this is going to be the guy and this is why? And also, you got to remember that Mike is an old Catholic League player, too. So do you think that there's some some kindred spirit a little bit in that in that decision? Well, I think I think for one thing, there's there was a video I saw on YouTube recently of I think it like it was back during Chandler's sophomore year at Holy Cross where he's getting trained by some professional former player, some professional coach and I mean the I mean if you listen to his interview last week with Scott Prather, he said he's been waiting since 5th grade for this moment, which means he's been training since he was 10 years old for a moment like this to become the starting quarterback. So you know, when when you wait that long, like we talk about with Roby used to say, work while you wait. When you have a guy like that that has put his time in and has sacrificed a lot of time and a lot of his um, his ability and a sacrifice, just made sacrifices to get to this point, you know he's gonna go a hundred percent every time he takes a snap because it's his golden opportunity that he's waited for for almost a decade. Um, also, too, about Chandler again you know, back to the Catholic league conversation, most quarterbacks that come from the Catholic league, uh, again, it's not just about the, what they do on the field, but it's the smarts behind it. And, um, you know, you another thing about a Catholic league quarterback, most of the time that I find is you're not going to have a quarterback. That's just strictly off of that, that plays strictly off of athleticism. They, you, you have to be a, a really deep thinker when you're on the field, you have to understand uh, how to read defenses. You have to understand how to uh, focus on the studies in the film room rather than just being one of those type of quarterbacks where you just let your ability do everything to where you get to college. It's a big, it's a lot bigger learning curve. Um, I think with Chandler, his learning curve is of course it's, it's, it's heavy coming to college, but I think his, it's a lot, he's going to be, he's able to pick it up quicker because uh, you come from those type of offenses. And so um that's why I think like I know a lot of there's people that are probably concerned and, and we can talk about this as the season goes on. But I think Chandler's going to be fine, um, mainly because, again, he kind of knows the system, but also like, coming from somebody who walks, still follows the Catholic League a little bit more and sees the type of quarterbacks that come from there. He's your prototypical type of guy to come out of, of one of those schools. So. I'm I'm excited about it, man. I'm I'm excited to see what he can do. But again, he does have some big shoes to fill following in the footsteps of a guy like Levi who won 35 games. Nick, I'm going to come to you for this thought first, but I'm curious. You know, Chandler did the media circuit and he's been on a couple of different shows and whatnot. And he made a lot of comments, but there's one thing that stuck out uh, that stood out to me. And it was his comment about Billy kind of pulling back on the aggressiveness. Now, we know that Levi was kind of coached to be a conservative player, and it worked. Obviously, we didn't turn the football over, won a lot of games. You know, it's history. But just the thought that he felt like he needed to say that was interesting in and of itself. Imagine a guy like that, a pro-style-type quarterback that's going to play under a guy that had to be creative on the field in Mike Dez, right? It made me, It got me a little bit excited, I'm not going to lie. You know, He's gonna be. He's gonna have the the autonomy to go out and kind of be the gunslinger that you've kind of heard about. You know, I've heard that a lot. Gunslinger, gunslinger. You know, we we overuse these cliches, but basically it means that he's gonna be able to go out and play his game. And when you recruited a, a Chandler Fields, that's why you recruited him. 
because he was good in the moment. He was good under the gun when things started to break down. He was good at that. That's kind of what made him successful in high school. He's not 6'2". He's not 220. Like it, He doesn't have to be. The size is irrelevant if you can let the guy go out, see Drew Brees, see a lot of these other – see Kyler Murray, see a lot of these other guys in the NFL. If you have it, you have it. And he's got something. There's definitely – you know, there's definitely something there. So the fact that he said that Billy kind of pulled the reins back on him was very interesting to me. I'm most excited about seeing a guy go out there and kind of just letting it rip. We haven't had that in a long time. So, Nick, I'm curious, did you what, what did you think about his comments and then also your overall impression of Chandler so far? Well, first, my impression is that he's poised. He's a leader. We know that. We've heard it. Um, but he's poised. He He says the right things on camera. Um, and and I think he's going to represent the university very well. He already has in the few appearances that he's had uh, in front of the media. So I think he was very well prepared for this role. And and I'm like you, I'm excited because, again, Dez had to manufacture things. That's who he was. He was a grinder. Um, Dan Bearden, I'm going to share this comment uh, right now to, to the rest of the viewers. Dan Bearden says Fields is a water hose type guy. Exactly. That's exactly what he is. He's very much in the mold of Dez and Dez is probably going to let him. I mean, you have to look at, at the, the early season schedule. He'll have the opportunity to, to, to have probably more, more rope than typically. If we were start opening the season against a conference opponent, then yeah, he would probably be a little more conservative and probably pull him back a little bit. But we're going to get to see, you know, in the first two, three games, Chandler and what Chandler's tools are and what he brings to to the table. And then if we need to pull him back at that point, then I think Des has the opportunity if he sees some things or if the turnovers aren't where we need them to be. Because let's be honest, we're not going to be uh, how many turnovers or how many interceptions did did uh, we throw in the last two seasons? Not a whole lot. I mean, that was really one of the strengths of Levi. So we're not going to see that. I don't know that we'll ever see that again in a Cajun quarterback because he was so good at what he did. But I'm okay with him pressing and and turning the ball over if if he's trying to make something happen. Um, so again, I think we'll we'll get to see an expanded playbook for for Chandler. I think we'll get to see him really um, be Chandler for the first few games, and and if that that works out well, and Des likes what he sees, then moving forward, that's what we get. But if we do need to pull it back a little bit, like I said, you've got two or three warm up games, and not warm up games because they're easy. But when we get to the meat of the schedule, we'll need you know to see where Chandler is at that point. So I think we'll get to see a little bit of experimenting the first couple of games. And I think the trade off to your comments, Nick, about you know Levi, I think he only threw like four interceptions last year, which is very impressive. But on the other hand, the trade off was that we didn't really take many chances downfield unless we really had to, or the games we did take chances, we, I mean, we we really converted. You know, uh, we really got the job done. I mean, one of the the games we really went downfield was against that uh, App State the first game. I mean, second play from scrimmage, he throws a beautiful play action down the middle for like 50 yards to Kyron Lacey, and we know what happened after that. But there were a lot of close games last year because we would kind of you know throw the screens to the sidelines, throw passes to the flat for like five yards. And so with that, you really don't run as to, into as much risk of throwing interceptions. I think there's going to be a little bit of the opposite this year. I think they're going to let Chandler – sling it a little bit more but the trade-off is you hopefully uh you hopefully complete those passes with the depth of the receiving core we have and you're not playing those games close in the fourth quarter hopefully that that uh i guess you take some of those chances hopefully it goes our way to where we're not worrying about stopping a team or hoping that they miss a field goal with three seconds left um i, I that that's kind of what i'm hoping to see uh taking a little more risk and throwing it more downfield this year 
if you look back at last season and, and really the year prior, the times where we punched above our weight was when Levi was able to complete big passes down the field. And you saw a little bit of that in the New Orleans Bowl, right, with Mike Jefferson making some big plays. And there, there, was a, there were a few of them. Um, I want to say Errol Rodgers dropped a, like a 50-yard bomb. But anyway, when we were able to play at, at a level that was really above our pay grade, to, to, you know, so to speak, it was when we were able to attack over the top. We always had the run game. We always had that power, that power line that we could rely on. I mean, we knew we had that in the bag, but when we could really beat teams like Iowa State and others, we remember a Georgia State game early in the season in, in uh, 2020, I think. Maybe it was 21. It was 21. We went to Georgia Southern. We beat them in the first 10 minutes of the game when Levi went over the top for like 50 yards, and the game was over because the threat of the, lo the long pass was there and it was established. And I, I, we dominated in that night. I think it was 41-24 something like that. But the game was over early because we we demonstrated that we're not just going to sit here and deacon doink like you say, Jerry, and we're not just going to go five yards in a cloud of dust and we're not just going to rely on the short passing game. We're going to beat you over the top, and we did it. There was a few times. We did the same thing against Ohio one time where he made a long pass early in the game. We established that we were going to take a, a risk and take shots, and completing those passes ended up being uh, very big in those games. I want to show something really quick. Mike Abair, thanks for joining us, Mike. He says something that's that's near and dear to my heart, right? Third down and pass situation is what I'm interested in reviewing. Our conversion percentage is uh, those were not strong in 2021. They weren't strong in 2020, and they weren't strong in 2019. We have never been a, a high conversion rate on third and medium or long under Billy Napier. Never happened. And, I, you know, the cause of that is TBD. You know, what was it Levi? Was it too conservative? Who knows? The, the fact remains is that we weren't good at it. I think. I think that Levi was conflicted, right? If you're coached to be conservative, although you know you have to take some chances to get those those big yardage, the big yardage on third down, maybe it's a third and nine, a third and twelve. You want to go over the middle, which was his his strength, by, by the way. Those those outside the hash throws were not necessarily his strength. I mean, the 50-50 ball really wasn't all that uh, uh, successful for us over the years. However, I think Chandler he doesn't have that conflict. I think that he's going to be encouraged to be himself. So whether it be, you know, use your feet to get the third down or go ahead and just let it rip. I don't think we're going to have that third down issue anymore. You guys think that? And look, well, also, I, I agree with you, but we're also going to find out relatively early in the season because you're going to see Chandler. So we got a different quarterback. We've got different coaches and you've got the Gators playing as well with Napier as their head coach. So we're going to see if that philosophy stays here, not only stays here, but did it go to Florida? So we're going to it's going to be very telling as as we open the first couple games of the season. Um, but but to your point, yes, I, I do think we're going to open it up a little bit on third down because we were conservative and we have not been good under his coaching. Now, we've been good a lot of things, but again, we're, we're always super conservative. Um, so I don't I don't know that that was more of a Levi thing or a coaching thing. I tend to lean more towards it was a co coaching thing, but we'll find out. Yeah, I think a little bit. I think it's some of it was a coaching thing. I, look, you <sighs> One thing about Levi's, whenever he had the freedom to go do what he wanted to do, or when they opened the playbook for him, he looked like a totally different quarterback. I mean, there were some games where, you know, he would take the ball and tuck it and run. I mean, look at that run he made in the conference championship game from what, 60, 65 yards out. I mean, untouched against a really good App State defense. When Levi is in that type of mode, you can't stop him. But also, too, I think the coaching staff kind of limited him from doing that because whether it was fear of injury or just, you know, they wanted to beat him at the line of scrimmage. Um, 
that kind of limited Levi to allow him to convert third downs because he couldn't really get into a groove. When you throw in these little five-yard out routes in the flat and you're handing the ball off, you know, third and seven comes around, you know, it, it just it, it's kind of hard to mix like that, you know. So a lot of times I find when Levi was was starting or when he was playing, the games where he really cut loose were the games where we opened the playbook. You never really saw a game where you had a conservative where we where Billy called a conservative game where Levi really had a big play. It was either a long run, it was a big defensive turnover, a big defensive stop, but it was never because of, you know, Levi going deep because I felt like the coaching staff kind of limited him to that. But I'm I think I think Dez said it, you know, he's going to open it up a little bit more with Chandler and so, you know, we'll see what happens there, but it, it definitely adds to the hypothesis that the coaching staff did kind of strain Levi's ability just by the play calling last season or in the last two years. And Jerry, I'm also hoping that we're more more disciplined on offense because how many times did we get a big play or we have a nice sustained drive and then we have a holding call and then we have another, you know, low block or something. These silly penalties that backed us up. When we get, you know, third and 10, we just wrote it off that we were going to punt or try to kick a field goal because we weren't we weren't even going to attempt to go past the, the yardstick. So I think we need to be more disciplined on offense as well. well Last comment that. on that. I agree. Yeah. Last comment on that is I'll say that I think Billy was more, first of all, he knew he had a good defense. I mean, all of his time here, with maybe the exception of the first half of his first season, we had excellent defensive coaching staff, ex excellent defensive personnel. I think that Billy's philosophy was live to fight another day. You got a great kicker, punt it down there, let's play defense and get the ball back. So what are you going to do? You can't argue with the results. I mean, it is what it is. It's it's just very interesting. It's going to be a very interesting conversation going forward with this new quarterback, new new uh, philosophy. I, I guess maybe that's a, a blanket statement, but we'll see. Nick, I know you prepared a, a, a very in-depth preview of Southeastern, and I'm interested to to, uh, to hear it. I know our listeners are. And then we'll uh, we'll go ahead and have a conversation about Southeastern after Nick goes ahead and uh, educates us on the, on the Lions. Thanks, Josh. So, yeah. Um... Southeastern is, is coming into the season ranked 17 in the FCS coaches poll. Now, temper your expectations there. Stephen F. Austin was also ranked 10th, and they just got obliterated by unranked Jacksonville State yesterday. So uh, take it for what it's worth. Um, they did finish the season 9-4, and four, and they were knocked out of the second round of the FCS playoffs last season by James Madison. But they were an offensive powerhouse in FCS. They put up 552 yards of offense per game and scored around 45 points per game. That was number two in all of FCS. So they um, they led the nation in passing a year ago, and that was, of course, mostly because of Cole Kelly. He just had an amazing record-breaking season with the Lions last year. So they're expected to take quite a step back uh, in offensive production at quarterback. They do have two Sunbelt Conference transfers, South Al transfer Cephas Johnson and ULM backup Kobe Suits. They battled for the starting job, but Johnson really one out and was named starter a couple of days ago. So we'll see him at Cajun Field next season. He did start eight games for South Alabama in 2019, uh, but did not finish the season. He had five touchdowns and seven interceptions, uh, but he did have four rushing touchdowns. He was replaced by uh, Desmond Trotter, who took over the starting job for him at, at South Al. But he transferred in 2020. He's been a reserve quarterback and, and wide receiver with the with the Lions. Um, did see some game tape, and he looked really good. Um, on the on running the ball uh, later in the season, excuse me. Um, he did look really good at coming out of the backfield and has some speed. So it'll be interesting to see how mobile he will be under under center if they try some read option plays. Um, 
As far as wide receivers, they did lose some key wide receivers last season, so they have a they have a couple of players that are coming back that can do some damage. Uh, Gage Larvidane was Southland Conference Freshman of the Year last year, so he's really good, and Terrell Carter is expected to have a big year as well. They do return all three running backs, so I expect them to try to establish the running game early as they have depth and experience at the position. And Kelly was number the number one rusher for them last season with 161 rushing attempts, so that just tells you how he really did everything on offense for them. Uh, they do lose three key starters on the offensive line, so their D-line will have opportunities to make plays as they didn't have a whole lot of depth, depth there last season. Uh, they tend to give up a bunch of sacks, so I really think Hill Humphrey, uh, they'll have big gains on the uh, on the defensive line, and Andre Jones, I think, will will be able to, to get some pressure on Cephas Johnson early in the game. Um, so I think they're going to be very productive during this game. Defensively, they returned six out of seven on their D-line. They're expected to be solid again this year. It'll be a good test for our young O-line. Um, their experience up front defensively is something to watch out for, especially in our running game. And I, we'll see how that dictates our approach offensively, if we can, whether or not we can move the ball against their D-line. Um, they do return three defensive backs, but I still think we'll have the opportunity to pass the ball. Their secondary just was not very good at stopping the passing game last season. In their worst performance last season, they gave up 616 passing yards against Incarnate Word. So um, that just tells you how, how much they struggled defensively uh, against the pass. The quarterbacks were allowed to complete 65% of their passes against them last year. They give up an average of 430 yards a game and allow about 33 points a game as well. So we'll be able to score. I think we'll be able to move the ball. The key really will be stopping them offensively. As again, they were elite last season, but without Cole Kelly, that's going to be a big question mark for them. Um, with their wide receiver depth, I, I think they're still going to complete some passes. I don't know. Um, I don't know if Cephas Johnson has the the arm to to go downfield all that much, but I think he will be able with that wide receiver talent to make some to make some plays. So it'll be important for our defensive backs to keep everything in front of them. Uh, don't let anyone get behind them, and for our D line really to step up against our offensive line, who who as I mentioned before is 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 has not been that great over the last couple of seasons. But I think. Frank Selfo is a good coach. I think he'll have them ready to play at Cajun Field. Um, so my question, I guess, to you guys is, is knowing um, that they've struggled in the secondary, do you think we come out and run the ball early and often? Or do you think, um, you know, knowing that that we can put it in the air, do you think we we try to air it out early in the ballgame? Just interested to, to know what you guys uh, think about our, our approach offensively. Go ahead, Jerry. You can start this one off. I have a couple of different thoughts. I'm kind of marinating. Okay. Yeah. No, it's a good point. Very good analysis, uh, Nick. Um, I think this is a type of game. If we're talking on offense, and I, I, the more I look at our our depth chart, the more I look at our our projected starters. I think we probably should throw the ball a little bit early because of our depth at the receiving core. Um, we're still a little young in the depth chart as far as running backs go outside of Chris Smith. You know, you got Terrence Williams, you got guys like Jacob Cabote, but, you know, not as much experience there. Um, kind of the same issue we ran into last season whenever Montreal Johnson and Imani Bailey stepped up. But, I mean, luckily for them, they – they got the job done, and now they got into the portal and went to P5 schools. So hopefully uh, we get the same result, but um, just the other two outside of Chris Smith don't leave. <laughs> um, but it's 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 
a question yet to be answered. We haven't seen it yet, right? I mean, we can assume, but we don't know yet. So I think going into this game, I would definitely want to see us throw the ball a little bit just to, just because it's kind of the comfort zone for us right now. But I think this is a great game to also establish a rushing attack, kind of mix those three guys in, give them some reps, especially the younger guys, and see what they can do. Um, but early on, I will. I kind of want to see us slinging up and down the field a little bit. One thing is that I find about this this team or the Southeastern team is, yes, they do score, but they did lose Cole Kelly and they did lose some pretty good key starters. I'm more curious to see how our defense does. And I'm not saying, you know, our defense is going to struggle, but I think this is actually a really good test for them. In spite of it being an FCS school, in spite of it being Southeastern, I think this is a good game to kind of get their feet wet, you know, even in spite of the fact that it is the first game of the season. Uh, look, if the team can score 42 points a game the year before, regardless of who they lost, they obviously have a good scheme going for them. I think it's a good test for the defense, to be honest with you. I, I, I'm I'm up for the challenge because, look, I don't want fans to get discouraged, but Southeastern might score a little bit on us. Now, I'm not going to say they're going to score 40 points, but they may score a few touchdowns on us. You know, I mean, Nichols did it last year and Southeastern beat them last year. So, you know, I, I'm more I'm more curious to see what our defense does. Offensively, I think we'll be fine. But to answer your question, I would like to see us throw it a little bit just because of the depth and the fact that we have a comfort zone there. I have so many questions about this team and this game, and I have some thoughts about the entire – I don't know. I'll say it this way. I'm struggling to understand how this team is ranked 16th in, in the FCS poll. You're replacing one of the best quarterbacks to ever have suit up for the Lions – you're replacing your top two wide receivers. You're replacing three-fifths of your offensive line, which was pretty good last year. Um, your defense, it, Nick made a comment about the secondary giving up massive amounts of yardage. They're all undersized. If you if you look at the secondary, we have a we have a mismatch at every position. Uh, I, I will tell you this. Uh, just looking at the rosters and the sizes and everything on paper, I'm going to be a little bit disappointed if we don't score a lot of points on this team. There's no reason why we should. Uh, anytime they played a decent offense last year, they gave up yardage. And in many cases, they gave up a lot of, of, of points. Uh, in the playoffs, they got absolutely run. So I don't know, man. I, I You want to talk about we're replacing a lot? They're replacing a ton. I'm struggling to see how they're ranked in the poll. I do agree that Selfo is a good coach. And I understand that they have a good scheme. But who doesn't run the zone read anymore? I mean, it's not like... You know, it used to. It's, it's not like we're going up against the wing T or, or the triple option. It, this is something everybody does now. So we're we're more talented. We're we're deeper. Uh, I think that we are. At, I mean, obviously, we're at home. We're a D one football team. We should win the game. I think we. A lot of us still have a little bit of CDS from the last time we played. We played Southeastern, where you know people wanted to holler and scream about, oh well, it was a win. Let me tell you something. That was one of the worst wins that I've ever witnessed. And if you want to tell me that there's no such thing as, a, as an ugly win, I would, I would kindly you know, court you over to that game. Please rewatch that game. We should have lost the game. It was a, the, the tight end was wide open in the middle of the field. Quarterback missed him. I mean, that's, at the end of the game, you guys remember what I'm talking about. Uh, we should have lost the game, and that would have been a, a disaster. And, and that season ended up not being so great. But forget about that. These are, this is a totally different program. Southeastern is still a good program, but they're an FCS program. I mean, it's no slight on them. It's just a team that we should beat handily, actually. Um, but the, the only thing that I'm really kind of concerned about is that 
you know, if you look at that, everything that we just kind of talked about and the and the and the the story within the story is that if Chandler goes out and and tries to be too aggressive and doesn't have success, what does that do to you mentally when you know that this team gives up a lot of yards in the air? So if you, if you go out and you're too aggressive, what I would like to see Mike do is come out with a with a, a, a reasonable, a, a rational game plan early. If he's efficient, if he has some confidence early and he's hitting those five-yard, seven-yard, 11-yard slants, deep posts, things like that, let it rip in the second half. But I would like to see a methodical game plan early so that you don't take the risk of not being able to be successful against a team that on paper you think, oh, yeah, we're going to rip this team apart. Let's go run the ball. Let's hit the tight end. Let's hit some wide receiver deeps and, and sluggos and stuff like that. Let's hit those easy ones, get some confidence, and then just let it rip in the second half. Because the last thing we need is a guy like Chandler, who's brand new, you know, still wet behind the ears, you know, to go out and, and you know, miss. maybe he's a little amped up, first start, first start uh, at home. You don't want him to miss easy throws and then get in his head. That's I don't want that to happen. You know, the, the only thing that concerns me, and I know it's a totally different team from when we played him in 2017. And by the way, we gave up 48 points. I mean, win or lose, you don't, you should not be giving up 48 points Doesn't to matter. FCS schools. Mm -hmm. There's no, you know, Doesn't oh, we win. won the game. Nope. No, that was a terrible no performance. Not allowed. But last year, Nichols, 27-24. And that was debatably our best team ever. So I, I would never... I'm not going to overlook this team. Uh, I don't like looking. And and uh, like you said, Josh, uh, CDS, we have lost to teams like that in the past. If you grew up a Cajuns fan, you've seen one too many. So I never overlook them. But I think talent-wise, it's it's a it's a tale of two programs. I mean, we, we do have the talent. We have the depth. Uh, and and we're definitely – we definitely have more than they do. Um, but, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm – I'm actually excited, not because this is the first game, but again, this is a great barometer. This game is a great barometer of where we are, in spite of it being an FCS team. So, it's going to be fun, and uh, I'm 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 more curious to see the newcomers or the new starters on how they step up and if they can hit the ground running fast and not struggle uh, this week. Because look, there's always an upset from an FCS team in week one, even against P5s. So. I just don't want to be on the other end of that this weekend against but Southeast. If you, if you looked, and, and Josh, you were talking about them being ranked this year. Why are they ranked? If you look at what Cole Kelly did for that offense last year, that's your answer. Yeah, It's everything based off of Cole Kelly making everything happen. So without him, they're a different team. And again, I get it. They've got talent. They've got some returners. All three running backs are coming back. Their top two wide receivers are coming back they've got some some players returning but you still have uh, an unproven quarterback whose best season he he played 10 games and and had five touchdowns and seven turnovers so i think i think from that and, and an offensive line that i think our defensive line will absolutely obliterate um so from that regard i'm not worried about it i just want to see i just want to see us have a comfortable win like I feel like it's been forever since we've had a comfortable win. We during the Napier area we, era, we had one or two a season. I just like to start it off with a comfortable win against a team that we should beat um, by by easily by double digits. We'll beat the hell out of Liberty one night when Liberty was kind of on that upswing when they first started. Was that the was that Napier's first year or was that Hud's the second? It was his second year. Okay, yeah, we beat it, the hell it was out the of Liberty, and they had a lot of talent that year. Well, it was the week after we had played Mississippi State in the Dome, and we really should have won that game. 
And honestly, the Liberty game, we pretty much dominated from the kickoff, looked kind of sloppy in some parts and still won by three scores. So, I mean, it, take it for what it's worth. And that was a good no. Liberty team too. So No, they really were. They had a lot of talent. They had that one wide receiver that I can never remember his name, but he he had a cup of coffee in the NFL. And uh, I forget the quarterback's name, who was also very good. They had a nice run. But, yeah, we, we, we beat them pretty good that night. And I think – I don't know. I have all these flashbacks. We beat the hell out of Tulane in the middle of Hudspeth's years. Uh, well, whatever. I'm going to get lost down a rabbit hole there. I think we should beat Southeastern by four scores. I, I, you know, I don't even think it should be close. And I don't think that that's unreasonable. I mean, come on. We're a better team. I think our defensive line and their offensive line is a complete and total mismatch, like you said, Jerry. Uh, Mike makes a great point about uh, Bustle's – what was that? His second to last year against McNeese where we lost and when Mike oh, was the starting quarterback – yeah, yeah, he's not going to – that's not going to be easily forgotten. So I have no – I don't think – losing is not necessarily what we're talking about here. I want to see what the team is going to – it feels kind of – I'm going to knock on wood. It's almost kind of like a borderline preseason game where you go out and you you know, you know play the ones and the twos. You see what you have. You let the backup get a couple of reps. You play all the running backs that you have. You know what I mean? It, it kind of feels that way. Look, no slight on Southeastern, but at this point in the year – or at this point in the programs, we're top 25 last two years. You're, you're FCS and got bounced in, what was it, the first or second round of the playoffs? Second. I mean, it is what it is. I'm sorry. You know, truth is the truth. So yeah, to, <laughs> to Mike's it, no. point, I was, uh, I was a student manager on that team that we, when we lost to McNeese. So, yeah, I still have uh, – I'm still traumatized by that game. Yeah, I think we're all, we all are. I mean, that's when you kind of <laughs> knew it was over. It was bustle was over at that time. You know what I mean? It was kind of, it was, it was winding down after that, you know, uh, Willie Taggart in Western, Western Kentucky was really the death nail. I was going to say he was, was, was 2010. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. That was, that, that was the North Alabama moment. You know what I mean? Everybody was like, all right, this is, this is over. This is over. Anyway. So, uh, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the league. The league is as strong as it's ever been, especially with the newcomers. Uh, we wanted to give a little bit of a preview and kind of discuss the East and the West. Uh, Jerry is, I, I think, I think Jerry's going to get us kicked. Let's start with the West. The West. Okay. Obviously I got the Cajuns winning it. Um, my second place team, I have Troy. They have a lot of returning starters. I know they have a new coach, but I just feel like the the skilled players coming back, it's going to help them get that extra boost. Um, so I have them at number two. Number three, I have South Alabama. So I, I pretty much mix Troy and South Al. I just reversed them. I think South Al, they've always been kind of close, but not quite there yet. I know they were like one play away from being bowl eligible last year, and they were one field goal away from having a winning season against us. It's amazing in two plays. They were two plays away from seven and five, and they finished five and seven. Um, so I have South Alabama at number three. I think Kane Womack has done a great job. He's going to have them kind of back in the hunt. Just not quite there yet when it comes to going against the Cajuns, especially the fact that they have to come here for homecoming. Uh, my fourth team, I actually have Arkansas State at number four. Um, and the reason why, I know they only have – I believe they only have five or six starters coming back on each side of the football, but I feel like Butch Jones is going to turn things around there. Um, I know last year he did a full overhaul, but if you look at some of their losses, some of their losses are pretty close, in including ours. I mean, we only won by one point, so I expect them to, to be in the hunt again this year. Um, 
and compared to previous years when Blake Anderson was there. So I have them at number four. I have them at, and also I have them bowl eligible as well. Uh, number five is exactly where I had Southern Miss. Uh, Will Hall's coming off a three and nine season and he's going to have things turned around, but I, I think they're still kind of going to go through some growing pains. So I have them at number five, number six, Texas state. I'm going to move Texas state down until they can prove otherwise. Um, every year we talk about Texas state being the team that's going to surprise people. And every year they end up, they end up disappointing to us. So I have them at, them at number six until they can prove otherwise. I see Lane Hatcher as their quarterback now um, transfer from Arkansas state. We know Lane's given us a few good games. So hopefully that can kind of light a fuse for their offense and their program and uh, work in Spavital's favor, especially being an offensive uh, type coach. And of course, number seven, I have ULM, poor ULM. Um, I think Terry Bowden's doing as much as he can there, but resource wise, just everything. I think they're just kind of limited. I think they're going to, they're going to grind, but I just don't think it's enough for them. So I have them at number seven Uh, to the East. Pretty much the first two is exactly how I have it. App State and Coastal. I think App's going to be coming out with a vengeance uh, after last season. They, a lot's, we're going to find out a lot this weekend when they host North Carolina and Boone this week uh, on Saturday. So if they can get if they can get the win there, that would be huge, not only for their program, for, but for our conference. Uh, I have Coastal at number two. Um, I actually think App's going to beat them in Conway. I don't losing guys like Isaiah likely. I really don't know what they have on offense outside of course of their quarterback who everybody's high on him right now. But uh, I actually have Marshall at number three and Georgia state at number four. So I flipped those two Um, Marshall. It's going to be interesting without Ali being in the backfield for the first few months or however long he may be out. So that may, that may change Uh, Georgia state. I think they're on the up and up, but again, kind of like Texas state, you always expect them to make that extra move, but they always find a way to blow it. So I still think they will be bowl eligible. Uh, I got JMU at number five. They're going through a transition transitional year. I think this is one of those seasons. They're going to get their feet wet at the FBS level. I think they're going to get some pretty solid wins, but uh, I think they have a little ways to go. And I think they'll eventually get there. Old Dominion at number six. I know they started the season off kind of slow. Can't really do that in the Sun Belt. Uh, so I have them at number six. And I have Georgia Southern at number seven, just with Clay Helton being there, changing, pretty much changing the entire scheme or the entire offensive scheme. I know he's gotten some some criticism from fans because they're used to that spread option offense that they like to run. Uh, I don't know if he's doing that or not, but uh it's gonna be interesting to see what they can do. And um, and I think they have a new quarterback in their system this year as well. So that's going to be tough for them. I think this is going to be kind of like what Arkansas State went through last year, kind of a rebuilding year for Georgia Southern. So on the West, I have UL, Troy, South Al, Arkansas State, Southern Miss, Texas State, ULM. In the East, I have App State, Coastal, Marshall, Georgia State, JMU, ODU, and Georgia Southern. And of course, the Cajuns play in App State at Cajun Field. And um, I didn't pick a winner for the championship. I'm not quite ready for that yet. I need to see what what we have after the first half of the season to really see whether or not we can win the uh, the championship. So, but I do have us winning the West. Oh, that's a good cliffhanger for later, Nick. What you thinking? Yeah, I so I agree for the most part. I had um, Troy as as number two in the West, or more like a two A and two B South Alabama because I I just think they both have a lot of talent returning. So I think they're gonna um, they're gonna be better than they were last season. So um, I have Troy South Al 2A, 2B. I did, I, I moved Texas State down and I moved Southern Miss up because Southern Miss just has a ton 
of talent returning. They've got Frank Gore Jr., who I think is going to really make a name for himself this year. Well, he already has, but I think he's just going to he's going to be that much better. Um, and and I'll be honest with you, that Southern Miss game in Hattiesburg scares me because they will show up. I promise you, they have a s- circled start on the calendar, and so do their fans. So um, they're going to be a tough. It's going to be a tough environment, but I look forward to to uh, to seeing Southern Miss. So I think they'll be they'll be better than five. I think they'll be at number four. Texas State. The only thing I'll say about them is I think they if Lane Hatcher can cut down on the turnovers because that was really his his biggest downfall at at Arkansas State uh, was turnovers. So it, I think if he cuts down on the turnovers and goes back to the old. Uh, Lane Hatcher, then I think they have a good shot of upsetting maybe a team or two in the belt this year. But this is Spavital's, I think, fifth season, um, and he he does not have a really good record. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see the the approach that he takes with this team and, and possibly his last team coaching. So at, wait, uh, Nick, Texas. have we have we given up on the Brady McBride era? Is that over? Yes, it's Hatcher. I, I, He's officially been I, named I, starter. I, 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 don't quote me on that. I think it's Hatcher, but I'm, I may be completely wrong. I was no, assuming. I, it was, I think you're right on that. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so regardless, I think, I think they still, I think they've got enough talent to possibly pull up an upset with or without Hatcher. But um, I just don't think that they're going to be finishing fourth in the league this in the, in the division um, going to the East for the most part. I, I think, look, I, I'd never want to give coastal Carolina any, uh, any more credit than, uh, than than possible because Grayson McCall just gets on my nerves. But he's a good quarterback. They did look Teddy. I don't want to say his his full name on here because his daddy might sue me. So the guy who's no longer there is gone. Uh, highly unlikely, as you mentioned, are gone. They're losing a lot of talent, but they do have Grayson McCall. I just don't think that they're number two in the in the East this year. I'm going to say Marshall at number two because I um, look. They've got they've got four games at home louisiana coastal app state georgia state okay four really tough games at home if they win two out of four i i I don't see them you know i don't see them uh, and run the table i think that they're number two in in the east with a possible um if if one of those wins is against app state possible number one so i think a marshall is going to make a run this year but after that um it's pretty much any throwing throwing darts at a dartboard um We'll see what happens with the rest of it, but I really think it's app and app. I would say app and then uh, Marshall and then Coastal um, as my top three in the East. So not that far off, Jerry. I like it. Shout out to SLU Lions fan for joining the stream and letting everybody know that we're on crack. I wish I had a, a uh, Lawrence Taylor drop for this. Don't smoke <laughs> crack. Which that's brings awful. me to my next point. No, that's that's really funny. Uh, thanks for thanks for listening and watching, SLU fan. Uh, I do not do crack. Sorry, man. The truth is the truth. Crack uh, is whack. Crack is whack. Do, yeah, not us. Anyway, um, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. I, I think that I think Arkansas State is a little bit undervalued. I think Butch Jones is kind of ready made for the G five. I think that rah-rah stuff and and the way that he does things kind of works here. I don't necessarily think it works at a Tennessee, and I think that that was part of his downfall in in the SEC. Um, so I think Arkansas State's a little bit undervalued, but this this is what I see the West looking like. I think Louisiana wins the West, not because I'm biased, because I look at the roster and I think it's easily the best roster on, in the West, and it's probably second or third in the entire Sun Belt, even with everything that we lost. Now talk to me halfway through the season, see how Chandler has settled in. 
see how the running back room has responded, see how the, the linebackers have come around. That's a totally different conversation that we're getting ready to have. But I think it's Louisiana. Number two, okay, for me, guys, it's Southern Miss. I think Will Hall is a very good coach. I think that he is in a great situation for him. I think that culture is, is a perfect marriage for Will Hall's type of football. If you look at how many transfers they had over the course of two years, I think it's 46, I read. They finally have a quarterback. They've got 16 returning starters. They tasted some success towards the end of the season that's going to roll in. And if, for whatever reason, they've got a ton of momentum. I know that they're happy to be back in the Sun Belt. I know that they're happy to uh, to have Frank. I mean, Frank Gore Jr., is, is, he's a beast. He might be one of the – if not, he might be the best running back in a Sun Belt. I mean, he's very, very good. So they have a lot of momentum for whatever reason going into the season. I like their schedule. I like how things – I like how their situational games come up. Um, I think that they love having us on a Thursday night, and that's a Super Bowl type game. No disrespect, not saying that you know you have to win or lose. This is this is everything. I mean, obviously the season will continue, but it's one of those kind of feelings in the game, right? I think that that's great. It's a big game for us. It's a big game for them. It's a renewal of a rivalry. I can't wait for that. But I think they're number two. I think Troy is perfectly suited at three. I think they have all the talent in the world, but I still think that there's something up in that quarterback room. The fact that Daigie transferred late tells me that they were looking, right? They they don't love what they have in the quarterback room. I still don't love their offensive line. Uh, I think that there's a few things missing for, for a good gumbo, if you will. There's a few ingredients missing for a good gumbo over there in Troy. I, I don't know. And I don't love their schedule. It's early. It's hard early on, and you don't know if you're going to lose your team mentally early on. So I think I think Troy was the, the easy pick to kind of challenge Louisiana with the roster. Um, but I, I think that they're three. That, that's that's what I think. I like Texas State at four, and I'll tell you why. They're older now. They have a ton of transfers. Hatcher, listen, I, I don't know what the hell ever happened to Hatcher at Arkansas State. Um, that whole quarterback battle did not make any sense to me. All the guy did was put up numbers and win games. I, I never did understand that. You know what I mean? I, maybe there's something behind the scenes. Maybe the guy's not reliable. I don't know. Maybe the, the team didn't play for him. All I know is that he won a lot of games. I mean, we went up there with our best team ever. And uh, they struck fear into us. So, uh, look, uh, whatever. I just, I'm just happy that we get them here. We get them here in Lafayette, right? Okay, that's what I thought. I, re- I read. I'm glad that they're coming here. That's all I know. I, and I think that they're good. Um, anyway, like I said, I think so. Anyway, Texas State and then Arkansas State. Uh, ULM. No, no, no. I should have wrote this down. South Alabama. I don't understand what people see in South Al. I know they had a nice first half of of uh of 2021 but i don't i don't believe i don't believe in south alabama uh, they, they have too much there's too much turnover they lost probably the best receiver that we've seen in a while out of the Sun Belt. i know he's a tight end but um uh his name is escaping me anyway that guy was unbelievable he hurt us uh the entire time that we played uh any in, in, in anyway i don't think south alabama has the full roster to be able to, to challenge in the west at all i think they're six and, of course, I think ULM is seven. Although I do like what Bowden's doing in Monroe. I think they have some momentum. I like that they're getting out in the community. You can see the promotional stuff that they're doing. I think that he brings a lot of energy. I like his coaching staff. You know, I really do. I, I just don't think they have the, the, the talent, and they're going to struggle to get the talent. It's just, it just is what it is. That's the name of the game. Um, and their and they're, schedule is brutal. Let's just be honest. It's very bad. Uh, in, in the West is really where I, I see things differently than most. Um, 
it may be a hot take to say this, but I, I don't think it is. If you look at their schedule, you look at their roster, you look at everything they have going for them, you look at the returning starters, you look at their defense. Remember, guys, I think it was a Wednesday or a Thursday, Georgia State came to Cajun Field and pushed us around for three quarters. Everybody remembers that. I think Georgia State's going to win the West. I'm sorry, win the East, excuse me. I think Georgia State's going to win the East. They have a game... App State is coming off of a bye, and I think they play James Madison before that, and then they have a bye, and then they're going, uh, and then they play uh, uh, Georgia State. And that game is at App. So it's at the Rock. I think at that point, Georgia State's going to play South Carolina to open the season at South Carolina. Georgia State might win the game. Georgia State has shown with Elliott that they can go out and win those kind of games. They beat Tennessee. They beat the hell out of Tennessee. Granger's back. He's healthy. For the first time in, in two years, really had a nice, um, nice moments last year. But I think that he is the the unchallenged quarterback of that team. Their offensive line is excellent. Their defensive line is fast. They're they're uh, slim. They're quick. They're athletic, and they're physical. And I think that I like their secondaries a lot. They have size. I think they match up with everybody in the Sun Belt. I think they're going to win the East. Number two, I think is going to be App State. I think they're going to finish just short. And that game, that game at App State, that's going to be the game that's going to determine those two seasons if you will. I mean, that's how I see it happening. So I think it's App State number two. I think uh, Marshall's going to be number three. They lost Ali. That's a huge loss, but they still have a great roster. Wells transferred out. Who, Jerry, did you say who was going to be their starter this year? Because I didn't look at it. For who? Uh, it's uh, it's Harry Columbia Jr. For, for Marshall. Yeah, I have no idea who that is. Yeah, we don't know much about it. So that's going to be one of those things where you learn as you go, right? Uh, Marshall still has a very good roster. We saw them last year, but they didn't lose a lot of guys. So I think three is where they belong. I just don't know if they're going to be good enough at quarterback and, and obviously huge loss with, with Ali being out. Um, I, I, you got to think Helton's going to do something at Georgia Southern, right? I mean, he's got a bunch of kids that transferred in. They have an identity that just kind of helps them stay in games. I, I just don't see Georgia Southern being near the bottom of the league. I think they're right there in the middle, four or five, somewhere in there. And look, Old Dominion is a good team. They finished the, the season with seven straight wins or six straight wins. They went and won their bowl game, didn't they? So, I mean, they've got a ton of momentum. The only reason why I have them finishing where, they fin where they're finishing uh, for me is that I, I don't know. I don't. There's too many question marks for me. Uh, I don't know a ton about their roster. Uh, they won games against some bad teams in CUSA. I don't know yet. I only have them finishing low in the in the East because I don't know a bunch about them. Um, and maybe that's a little bit lazy, but I just, I don't know. Thanks, Nick. Nick Deal's letting us know Texas Tech transfer Henry Columbia. All right. I remember him now. Any any quarterback that comes from Lubbock is going to, I mean, he's going to be a good quarterback. I, mean, I don't know how they find quarterbacks, but they just grow them over there. You know what I mean? See, see uh, um, the, the, the coach at, at Arizona Cardinals. I can't remember his, his name. Cliff Kingsbury, see uh, Patrick see Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, and all the others. Sonny you know I mean? Cumbie, Sonny Cumbie, I Sonny no. Cumbie, another. Was, was Sonny, yeah, Sonny Cumbie was Graham Harrell, Graham Harrell, so many of them. So <laughs> they have a, they have a lineage for quarterbacks there. So I don't know, you know, show me what you can do, and, and I might it might change my mind. But I, I think that unfortunately James Madison and ODU were at the bottom of the league mostly because of the question marks. I, I don't feel comfortable putting them anywhere else. Georgia Southern just they just have too much of a core identity. I. Unless Helton goes in there and tries to make him Southern California and throwing the football all over the place, and I don't know, Vin, but don't break defense. I just don't see him turning the roster over like that. 
So, so for me, that's how it looks. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be James Madison and ODU six or seven. They're interchangeable there. They're going to be rounding out the East. Um, does anybody think I'm nuts? Um, I'm not going to say you're nuts about the Georgia state thing. I, I totally buy into your argument that, that they are going to contend in the East, but I just want to point out kind of getting off the, the subject that app state plays UNC week one and Georgia state plays UNC week two. Yes. How great would that be for us to get a sweep of UNC the first two weeks of the, of the season? That'd be fantastic. If you watched the Tar Heels play yesterday against uh, <laughs> Florida A&M, FAMU. Yeah. It wasn't great. Yeah. I mean, it really I wasn't. So I, I really I like great. Georgia. I really like Georgia state in that game, man. I don't know what the line is, but. Well, oof. To your point, Josh, I think the thing about Georgia State is it's they always start off hot to start the year, especially 2019. They go to, to Knoxville and knock off Tennessee, right? Uh, last year, they were one-fourth down play away from beating Auburn, you know, an Auburn team that beat LSU and Baton Rouge. I mean, Well, so, and they got hosed in that game. They did, but the thing they is – They should have like, won the game. When and you they should have beaten us, really. But when you see performances, but that's my point. When you see performances like that, yes, you, it, it opens your eyes like, wow, this team is for real. But then they get in the conference and they start dropping games to teams that either they can be competitive against or they should beat. Uh, prime example, App State, I think in 2019, they got smoked by App State at home. Uh, same no coastal coastal Carolina same thing got smoked by coastal at home you know I mean those are the type of games where that's why I just feel like they're not I just until they start winning those type of games that matter especially in conference play that's why I had them a little bit lower at four because they it's like even against us the last two matchups we had to we beat them in overtime when they really could have won they could have put the game away they could have put the game away last year they were up 10 nothing in the third quarter at our stadium and we came back and beat them. If you want that type of respect, if you want to be able to have people pick you to win the division, you have to finish those games. Now don't get me wrong. I'm happy. We won those two games, but in Georgia state from their perspective, you have to finish. And I just don't feel like they finish, especially in conference matchups. Look, my whole thing in the, in the East is I'm going to pull a, an old Ric Flair quote to be the man. You got to beat the man. Mm -hmm. App state is the man. I just don't, I don't know if anybody's going to be the man this season, but um, I just, man, Sean Elliott just gets on my damn nerves. I cannot stand his coaching style. It just, the rah-rah thing just, it, it gets me and it aggravates me. And uh, I don't know that he, I just hope they don't win the, the East for, for that particular reason. Cause I just don't like the guy. I don't like him either, but his teams are physical and I like he the wins. way they play and, and he wins, but yeah, I mean, keep this in mind, all those years that you mentioned, they had they had devastating injuries to their quarterbacks. Remember when we went to Georgia State the year that we won, uh, the year that we beat uh, Iowa State. They they started Quad Brown, and they should have beaten us. I mean, we came back out of nowhere, and we had you know Elijah Mitchell had an incredible game and all that stuff, and that was great. And I'm glad we won the game. But think about how much we struggled. I mean, they were as physical as we were, and we put a bunch of guys in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And and Sean Elliott was in year I think three at that time. Sean Elliott is the real deal. He's an App State grad. He knows how to play that kind of football. There's a lot of people. Some people are saying that he's going to be Auburn's next coach if he has a somewhat successful season at Georgia State this year. To his so, credit, to, to his credit, he has added credibility to the to Georgia State's program. I mean, before he got there, they couldn't win a game. I mean, you remember 
they had some winless seasons. They had one win, two win seasons, and then he gets there and they're in bowl games. They're winning bowl games. They're competing against, you know, Auburn beating Tennessee. So to his credit, he has turned turned that program around for the better, but just not at the level that they're to me that they're capable of. I, I think they should have. I think they they were capable of winning the division at least once in the last three seasons. So way too early. Well, I guess we said we weren't going to predict it, but but I'll say, I mean, I think it's the Cajuns and Georgia State for Sunbelt Championship. That's just way too early. Didn't even start the season yet. What do you think, Jerry? I would hope for that because I think that works to our advantage. Honestly, if it's if that's the case, the game's going to be a Cajun field because I think for them, they're going to drop a few games in the East oh, because yeah. the East is the so East competitive. Is stacked. Yeah. Um, the thing that scares me is if App State wins the East, something tells me that they're going to dominate the East and we might have to go to Boone for the championship game, which obviously I don't like. <laughs> it's a lot harder to win there. Um, but I'm not ready yet because I just – look, we're going to be talented. I still think we're going to have a winning season. I think we're going to have a great year. I'm just not ready – to crown ourselves champions yet. I, I, I want to see how we do the first six weeks. I want to see this team develop. I want to see the newer starters kind of step into their roles. By the time we play Marshall, where we are and where we need to be to get to that point. Uh, Mr. Lonklo checking in. I just want to show his comment. Uh, he thinks that we're going to travel for the championship game. And the only reason I'll say I don't think that is because, just like Jerry said, the East is so stacked. I think in order to come out of the East, you're going to probably take some losses. I, I think that uh, it's going to be a war of attrition. I don't think anybody is coming out of there undefeated. I, I just think mm -hmm. that there's too much power on the other side. So I think that's our benefit. You know, if we can go out and I mean, I think we're going to win most of our, our games in the league. I think if we come out with a loss that we, we're a shoe in, with a single loss, we're a shoe in for the championship game. And and I, I kind of think that's a, that's an easy pick. I think Southern Miss and Marshall. Well, even Marshall on it's. I don't. How does how do tiebreakers go? If you lose a game on the East, does it factor into the tiebreaker? Do you know, Jerry? I I want to say it's by division. I could I think be it's wrong. By division I think also. it's by division. Um, because I, that didn't that happen to us in 2018. We had like three losses in conference, and we still won the division because we had the head. We won the head-to-head -head against Arkansas State, I believe. That's what it was. Yeah. So you know, I, as far as the West goes, you know, it's it's Troy and Southern. I mean, really, that's that's what it's going to come down to. If you lose one of those games, you're in great shape. Yeah. You know. Anyway, yeah. we just uh, we wanted to talk about the league a little bit because we haven't done it enough. Uh, but the next thing we're going to get into is we've been in touch with. Uh, some folks in the administration, and they wanted to give us an update on some comments that we made on the last episode about ticket sales and things like that. The very first thing we want to report is that really good news about tailgating is that supposedly TG1 is about sold out. So that's great news. You know, one thing we have got to do is get the tailgating environment back to where it was during HUD, during Bustle, and, and really before that. How, however, that needs to happen. You know, if you guys have ideas, please send them to us. We're happy to kind of, you know, be a liaison on your behalf and try to, you know, I've made a lot of comments about the tailgate spots that were unused closer to the gates and, and closer to the soccer fields. If you're not going to use those, drop the prices and get people in there. Okay. Let's figure out a way to, to utilize those parking or, or those, uh, those tailgating spots. You know, I, I don't know what the cost is now, whatever it is, if you don't have a waiting list, it should be slashed. We, it, making $0 is less than making some money. We got to figure out a way 
to to you know Jerry and I talk about this all the time kind of going after the blue collar crowd blue collar crowd tough to say it, it's 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 something that we haven't done enough I I don't believe that's my own personal opinion if we're gonna get tailgating back to where it used to be we got to find a way to come to the table and figure out how can how can we use those tailgate spots that are just unused there's got to be a way maybe it's something on game day where you send out a, a link or something that says hey this this is available this is available maybe it's a, a third party deal where people that have those tailgate spots want to sell them to others whatever the case may be we got to find people got to find ways to get tents and people in those spots so the good news is is from the administration tailgating spots are being sold that's great news the other thing is we've been told that uh, we reported last week that the numbers were around 6,000 season tickets sold. We've now been told that they're 7,500 and maybe a little north of that. So we haven't been given an exact figure. We're working on it. Um, but as of this moment, and I think there's going to be a meeting on it next week, but as of this moment, we're right around the 750 or 7,500 7, uh, total. So, and, and, you know, also there's some hope in the, in the administration that 10,000 is a, is a real goal. It's a real possibility. So that's, uh, that's an update on that. Um, somebody asked earlier about the renovation of the stadium. The news on the renovation of the stadium is that we believe that December is going to be the time where things start coming down. The stakes kicked in some money. I mean, they've reported that in the news. I don't think that's any breaking news. So I, I'm, it's not a hot take or anything. I think I can say that. Uh, we're getting some state money to kick in to help us finish building our stadium. Uh, one-time money, Fed money. It's part of the whole infrastructure deal. For, if I'm saying that right, Jerry, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but it, that's going to help us finish our stadium. And uh, we think that we think that uh, December you're going to start seeing some stuff being moved around. Also wanted to say that we sold out of the stadium cabanas inside a Cajun field for the first time. Is this the first time, Jerry? I'm pretty sure that this is the first time they've ever sold Not out sure. of all the cabanas. That's progress, though, coming off the last it is. years. That's huge. It, it is. So, uh, look, we're a top 25 program, and we are until somebody knocks us off. We're a 13-game winning streak program. It's the longest in the country. We have an opportunity to be 18 game winning uh, on an 18-game winning streak. Um, things like that don't just happen. That's a big deal. Regardless of competition, it's a big deal. So get people to the stadium. Help help spread the word, get folks happy and excited about the team and supporting this team with, with Mike as the, as the coach. Um, any comments from you guys about that? So I will just chime in and say that is encouraging to hear that we're north of 7,500 and maybe knocking on, on the door higher. Um, I, I will, I will never apologize for saying that we need to sell out the stadium every, every season. But of course I know that's not, I mean, it's a 41,000 seat stadium. I get it. But I think I think ten thousand for me ten thousand should be a baseline and not a goal, uh, especially because so many other schools in our conference are surpassing that. And I think we have uh, really established ourselves as a national brand, and we should be doing better. I think a little of that, as as I ranted about last week, is with the administration reaching out to the common folk and and shaking hands and and being that politician. But I also think that we need the community to, to really step up and, and do their part as well. Because as I said, I use as Hattiesburg as an example because they're right down the road. They, you go there and you know Southern Miss is a school in, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And you come to Lafayette and you don't necessarily, I mean, you, you kind of have an idea and you see some things around town. But I, I, I 
cannot wait for the day when people of Lafayette embrace us like they embrace another team down the road. That just drives me absolutely crazy. And we're getting there and it's baby steps. And I'm just impatient. I want it now. And I think we're going to get there. But again, to me, 10,000 should be the starting point and not the end goal. But it's great, encouraging, very happy to hear that news coming out of the administration. That that That's awesome. Jerry, you fired up or what? Yeah, I mean, look, we need people to go to the games. And the, the, like we've talked about last week, the thing about our our um, our culture our, as a fan base is that we do a lot of we, – we, we're all about walk-ups. I mean, that's kind of our, uh, our bread and butter on game day. We get a lot of walk-ups because of the fact that our stadium capacity is so high to where fans are just at the point where they're like, why should I pay a season ticket package when I can just pay 25 bucks for – for a game on uh for a ticket on game day. So yeah, I mean look to get that number up there is huge. I think if you can get close to 10,000, that would be a big accomplishment, especially with the fact that you're you're I mean it's almost like a competition on social media with other schools in the conference where they've sold more than 10,000. There's no reason why we can't do the same. But um as long as we get people in the stadium, that's what really matters. As long as our attendance is good, that's what matters. So Season ticket sales, walk-ups, whatever it takes, get people to Cajun Field, come kickoff time. That's that's the main point of it all. When our peers are selling 12,000-plus season tickets before the end of August and other peer institutions are advertising that they've sold out their stadium for season tickets, I think, they, I think that App State announced that at the beginning of August, maybe the end of July. Look, App State has a, a 30, 40 years of history. And they've been winning and they've won national championships at a lower level. And they've, you know, their stadium is on on campus and there's it's a smaller community and there's less to do, but man, they they support the hell out of that team. So I don't like to use them as a comparison. I, I Jerry, you know that, but they are a peer. I mean, we've beaten them the last three times we've played them. So they are a peer. Uh, but I, I look at ODU has zero, zero history of success in football. They barely have any history as a football program at all. You got Southern Miss, who has basically been an afterthought in football for a decade, maybe longer than that. They're excited to be back in the belt. They've, they sold their 10000 I mean, they announced that weeks ago. I want to be able to look at our administration and say, hey, give us a number so that we can go run with it. So we can go get excited about it, get our fans to the stadium, get our fans telling others to get to the stadium because it's a hot ticket, it's a place to be. You can't do that when they won't give you the information. You know, I, I, I don't like the fact that it's such a top secret thing. Like we should be able to go out and say, hey, we've sold this, these amount of tickets, this, this allotment of tickets. Well, not allotment, but season tickets. We, we gotta, we gotta, we need ammo to sell to the community and the community at large and, and, the suburbs. You're not selling anything if nobody's buying because they can walk up 15 minutes before the game and buy a ticket. It goes back to selling the value. But it's important that we get those numbers up and get these people in the stands. And Nick has a question here about, you know, the corporate initiatives around Lafayette. Is there a big push, little push, any push? I got to tell you, you know, the economy in Lafayette is changing so rapidly I'm not really sure who they're going after, especially with this particular administration's uh, fascination with the, the national brands. And look, I understand you have to get national money and you got to get national sponsorships, but who are they really going after? Who 
who is a legacy uh, type of business around Acadiana who is all the way in on Raging Cajun Athletics that hasn't been in the past? I don't think there's a ton of them. So I, my question would be, you know, I'm answering a question with a question, but my question would be is who are we going after? You know, what, what industries are we going after? Right now, the oil, oil and gas industry is down, has been for a while. It's a little bit floundering. You know, it's stable, but it's not thriving. You know, the medical community has poured millions of dollars into the into the athletic program. So are you really going to go knock on their doors for more money? I mean, who really are we courting? Who are we grooming? Who Who are we cultivating i don't know but my, my other my other point would be should it should we rely on corporate tickets to get to ten thousand? i don't think we should do that i don't think we should have to you're telling me in a, a 50 mile radius six hundred thousand people you can't get twelve thousand tickets sold that's that's a hard pill to swallow if that's what we're having to rely on and add to that, you got a guy from right down the road, a hometown boy, that's your head coach. What are we doing in that area? We should be embracing New Iberia. Isn't he from New Iberia? We should be embracing, you know, New Iberia and and showing up and having events there, celebrating their, their you know, person coming to, to UL as a head coach of a Division One top 25 program. And, um, I mean, are we doing that? I don't know, but I would like to see – you know what I love that the administration or, or or the athletics has done with the the stadium reno is is every time somebody makes a big donation, you see it. They're putting it out there. It's on it's on Twitter, it's on Facebook, it's on social media. You're hearing about it and it excites you. It gets me excited when I see somebody makes a ten thousand, twenty five thousand, hundred thousand dollar donation. That's awesome. I wish we'd see more of that. And I get we're not going to do it for every. Every, everyone like me who goes my two season tickets, but I would like to see some type of promotion out there saying, Hey, thanks for so-and-so being a sponsor, new season ticket holders, this corporation in Lafayette or wherever it is. Um, get the word out, get people excited, get, like you said last time, Josh, the easiest way to get people to want to go to somewhere and tell them they can't go. The easiest way, uh, another easy way is to say, Hey, I'm, maybe you'll get a little bit of recognition. Your name's going to be out there because you know it's all about so, social, uh, the social environment in Lafayette and surrounding areas. So if you're getting equated to other people that are buying season tickets, then it's a cool thing to do. Um, so just you know, just thinking outside the box a little bit, and I think that's that's one thing I hope for. But again, I don't want to put this as as a bash on the administration. They've done a lot of great things and continue to do great things. And if as we approach ten thousand season tickets hopefully that will be a great thing, but we do need, I, I just, I, I don't know what more we need to do to get the community involved and embracing it. Cause I still don't feel it. I feel it from our hardcore fans that have been there forever, but I, I feel like we're always thought of as, Oh, that's cute. They're top 25. Oh, but here's an excuse. Oh, but they don't host, you know, great teams at, at Cajun field. Oh, but they don't do this. Oh, but, oh, but there's always a, but to it. I want people to really embrace the program. So that's my challenge to, to those out there kind of on the fringe of whether or not they want to do it. It's your home. Not a lot of, of teams are in the top 25, two years in a row, especially in the G five, go embrace your team. This is, you said we needed a winner. We got a winner. Go, go support them. Now do you know, put your money where your mouth is boots on the ground. Boots on the ground. I, I look at it as a um, you look and look, I got to give a shout out to to the RCAF with, when they do those announcements on who donates and even outside of the stadium donations, just a big donation in general, whether it's a donor or a corporation or a company. Um, it, it's it just goes to show you that people 
and 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 corporate entities are invested. But I think we need to get boots on the ground. Uh, I see a comment from from my friend Mike. He talked about you know going to places like Opelousas and Crawley and Abbeville and and other places around Acadiana in that sixty mile radius and having organ making it organic having fans, having alumni in that area create like little clubs, social clubs within those towns to promote the brand and to spread the spread the word of, of UL athletics and, and try to get fans to buy tickets and buy into the program, buy into the culture. That can be done. That can be done. If you look at other schools um, around the country, they have their, you know, fan clubs in certain towns. They have their fan clubs in certain areas. And, you know, whether it's getting together for a, a, a game or a road game to watch on TV at a local bar or local restaurant. But I do think that is an effort we can push, um, you know, in, in certain parts of, of Louisiana where we can. That's a good way to organically get fans involved who otherwise don't really know much about us. Um, and because and, you may have a fan somewhere in another part of the state watching us on TV going, huh, I like this team. What can I do to support them? How can I support them? Well, if you get those ambassadors um, or those, those, uh, unofficial ambassadors in those towns, I think that could be something to really push the brand and get people to buy tickets. I think that would be a great start, but really you have to get the campaign out. You have to get the effort. I know right now, um, the administration is short staffed, so they're doing everything they can with what they have. And look, I I'm pulling for them to, to get it done. I, I know they can do it. And hopefully, um, hopefully the success on the football field or the upcoming success on the football this uh, field this year can, can push for that as well and, and help enable more people to get involved. You know, to Mike's comment about being close to LSU, dude, do you guys not know where ODU is? Northern you know Virginia. How many, you, know, you know how many major institutions are around ODU? Do you know that, I mean, uh, App State is not 60 miles from North Carolina, but they're about an hour and a half from Tobacco Road, Duke, North Carolina. All those, all those programs. Lake Forest, NC State, Charlotte, all right there. Yeah. So listen, there's always going to be an excuse. I understand that LSU is a national player, and they have been for, uh, I don't know, 25 years, maybe 20 years, but they weren't before that, and there was the, the effort wasn't there. And I understand that the, the administration is totally different, and I, the way that we see ourselves is totally different. And I think our mission has changed, but there's always going to be an excuse. LSU is 60 miles. That's fine. Other teams in the G5 that are successful have weathered that type of storm. It, it's out there. Look for it. Um, Let's go to Hattiesburg. Two SEC teams in the state. In the state. And they still have their own brand. They still have people show up. Right. They still kick our ass in season tickets. Right. They still have sellout, you know, baseball games in, in midweek. So, yeah, I get it. It's tough. There's a, another team 60 miles down the road. But we need to do better as fans because, Jerry, to your point, I know when when Maggard first got here, we tried the you know going to New Iberia and Crowley and Rain and having these events, and nobody showed up to them. So I think it, we need to consistently do it. If nobody shows up, that's fine. Maybe they'll show up next time. We can't just say, "Oh, we tried it once and we're done." We got to be consistent and and do the right, make it the right type of environment and event that people want to go to, and not just say, "Hey." Coach Dez is going to be here Saturday. Come meet him. Like you got to have something tied to him. You got to give out t-shirts. You got to make it an event because people like events and they like being exclusive events. And if you can do that, then I think people show up, but you can't do it one time. Say nobody shows up and quit. We've done that. And, and that obviously didn't work. I would, I would liken it to the pod. First time we got on the mics and started talking, we were talking to ourselves. 
Nobody listened. Nobody cared. And here we are in season five, and you know our last episode got consumed over twelve hundred times. You got to keep trying. You got to keep trying. But listen, it, Jerry and I talk about this. Sometimes we get mad and we'll call each other and we'll we'll kind of go back and forth. Nick, you made a great comment last week, and you said that our marketing campaign uh, last year of HUD or second to last year of HUD, the one and only Rage and Cajuns. One thing that this administration has failed to do is capture the identity side of our brand. The one and only Rage and Cajun. It's our identity. It, the name, the moniker of the team is the identity of the culture. And we just don't, for whatever reason, we don't want to, we, we don't want to use that. That is, that's, that's our number one bullet in the, in the chamber. And we just refuse to use it. It, it, it blows my mind. But you don't make the people in Rain and the people in New Iberia and the people in Brobridge feel like this is part of their own. It's part of their identity. The time that we did that, I thought it was a spectacular and brilliant campaign. And we should have kept it. We should have kept it. It's a unique thing. And there are no other institutions. Well, maybe there's a few, but there aren't many that can say that their identity is their moniker. It's, just, it's, it's a unique opportunity that we have to sell. But I, I want to say this. There, you know, we're talking about the administration. We're talking about RCAF. We're talking about outreach, right? I want to, I want to kind of clear some things up because there were some, there were some comments made to uh, one of us here that that is not accurate. I am not when I start talking about RCAF and our strategy and things like that. I am not railing against the RCAF individually. I understand that we have a skeleton crew working. We have not gone out and hired the people and the staff. And Jerry said boots on the ground. And it's exactly what it is. We haven't done that. If you're out in the RCAF and you listen, and, and I know that you do, I am not talking to you or about you. I think that the people that we have on staff are doing the best that they can do with what they've been given, and I completely respect and honor that. I, I understand and I appreciate your efforts. Please don't take that as if I'm, I'm railing against your efforts. I'm not. What I'm railing against is our strategy and our, our inability to hire the correct person to understand this culture and to sell it. You got to sell the culture. You got to get people to trust you. You got to get people to understand what we have here. You got to sell the idea that this, this, this institution and this athletic program can, can build up the community and make it a better place to live and, and you know, spread our identity all over the country. And that's kind of part of the deal. We have not done that properly. I, I think that we've kind of gotten really close to it, probably better than we ever have, but we have never taken that next step to just really monetize all of that. So people in the RCAF, don't think that I'm talking about you. I have absolutely nothing bad to say about you guys. I understand you're short-staffed, and it's it's an injustice, honestly, is what it is. So please don't, don't take it personally. This is the other thing. We have less than 2,000 members. We have less than 2,000 Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation members. That is a travesty. It should be triple that. I know I misused the word travesty. I'm sorry. My wife's busting my balls. Sorry. It's 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 ridiculous. It, God. Told my train of thought. But wait, 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 I just want to say this. It should be triple that. Here's the thing. I'm I'm talking to the person, the, the student, the president of the student government who set up the uh the Yosef, which is App State's student, or well, it's their private uh, found, uh fundraising arm, but they have a student club. Their student club, the Yosef Student Club, just hit five thousand members. 5,000 members, and they pay $150 a person annually to be in that club. And the, the perks that they offer their students 
are guaranteed admission to games away or home, uh, bowl games, playoff games, you know, if it were to happen. They have all that. Not to mention they have they basically have uh, perks like RCAF people have, and they do that for the students. Why don't we have that here? How has that not happened already? And also, how, how do they have more than double the amount of student participation than we have regular fun, uh, uh, donors? How is, that, how is that possible? This is a team that we've been beating regularly. This is a team that, yes, they have a ton of success, but they have made an institutional decision that we're going to capture the students at the freshman level, the sophomore level. We're going to get them invested in App State. And then when they leave here, they're going to continue to support App State financially with, with their participation. They're going to be at the games. They're going to be at the fundraisers. They're going to be at the galas and all the events that they do. They do student tailgating. They do all of it. And my question to the administration, again, this is not about the RCAV. This is just a, a philosophical question. Why is it that we have not attacked that portion of the people that will be donors later and, that, and people that are on campus now? Where is that effort? I I agree with you, Josh. And look, I have friends who graduated from other schools and they couldn't wait after they graduated to join the foundation because they couldn't wait to get their whatever sticker in the mail for $25. Like it doesn't take someone with a lot of money to be a member of the RCAF. And I think that's what we we fail at letting people know. You said it on something else last week, but what is the value? Like you were talking about, what is the value of your season ticket? What is the value of joining the RCAF? And I don't think we promote that enough. But I think you're on the right track, and App State is nailing it, that if we want to have a national brand with a national following, because you think of all of the graduates, just like me, who moved out of Louisiana to another place, you've got that, but you need to start as a freshman in college and, and develop that relationship with the university. So like my friends, when they graduate and they, they don't have a dollar to their name, they're giving away $25, $50, $100 a year because there's a value to joining the whatever foundation from their school that is available out there. And I think we do a bad job of saying, here's the value of joining. Here's why you should join. And, and I think also it's very important probably in South Louisiana more than anywhere else, and probably in Lafayette and Acadiana, that hiring people to lead a fundraising event or, or foundation, it is imperative that people don't see them as someone coming in from somewhere else and having a last name they don't pronounce because they will not trust you. Especially whether, here, Nick. Especially in this exactly. culture. Whether that's right or wrong, it is a fact. That's why Gerald Abair is such an important part of raising money for for you know the athletics because he's an Abair. He's from Louisiana. He you know people trust him because they know him and they knew his wife and they know his family. And I think that's where we need to go. And I get there's not a huge pool of people who can run a foundation in Lafayette, but I think that's where you start because we need to start connecting with people on a human level. Because that's what people in Louisiana, in South Louisiana, respond to. And they can sniff out somebody who's not from here. And the, as soon as they say something that doesn't sound right to them, they're backing off. They've got to have trust. So I think that's good. That's huge. I think we need to get somebody local or with local ties that people can look at 
and 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 somebody mentioned in the comments connecting locally and 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 a mama and a papa wanting to come to games. It starts with having local people leading that charge. So I'm hoping that uh, that they can find somebody that can fill that role like a Gerald Daybear that people trust, even though it's just based on a name or based on where they grew up or based on where they're from or who their mama and daddy is. That is a big thing in South Louisiana. Agree a hundred percent. And you know, Mr. Longcloak checks in and says the early HUD years, a ton of people showed up, but that was before the ESPN plus package started. And we talked about this last week. And yes, I understand that that's part of the deal, but let me tell you this guys, we live in a place that has per capita, some of the best cooks in America, right? I mean, you at home, you're going to get almost, almost always you'll get a better meal than if you go out to any establishment around town. We, we can agree on that, right? Then why is it every time you go out to eat, you got to wait for 45 minutes before you can get a table? Because people want to be where there's buzz. They want to be out. They want to be seen. They want to see other people. They want to talk. They want to holler and scream across the bar. They want that. So I don't buy the streaming thing. Yes, it's part of it. All right. But people want to be out and about. We could do plenty of things at home, like eat. But we go out to eat. Lafayette, it's unbelievable. I, you know, go to Houston, you can go to any restaurant. You walk in the door, you can eat immediately. Lafayette, you go to freaking Texas Roadhouse, you got to wait an hour and a half. It's ridiculous. So, you know, don't tell me that people just want to sit in their lazy boy. That's, not, that's just not true. You haven't given them a reason to get off their ass and go to the game. You haven't given, given them a reason. You haven't, you know, the game day experience wasn't enough to return. Not often, you know. You know, we, we can get into game day. That's a whole other conversation, but... I, I don't buy the stream thing. I think that it's part of it. And yes, there's some of it that that keeps some people home. But it's also a good thing for people that live out of town. We've got alumni all over the country. They watch. That was never that was never a, a, a possibility before the ESPN Plus package. But also, how are you monetizing that? Those folks that have been following on ESPN Plus, is there a way that we can track that and find out who is where watching what? And can we can we uh, you know get in touch with them and say, hey, would you like to support the Athletic Foundation? Do we have that in place? I don't know the answer. I know you guys don't have it, but it's just something to think about. We, 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 we've, we've got to find a way to connect with these alumni that have left town. We've done a poor job of that over, over the years. I see Jerry sitting very stoically. Did we do something <laughs> bad, Jerry? Yeah. Am I getting you in trouble? Are we in Did trouble we yet? No, no, no. I'm just listening. I'm listening. I think y'all have great ideas, but I, I will say that it is – you know, we can't do this overnight. I think we have to have a foundation and have a start, a starting point somewhere in all of it. And um, I'm hoping that uh, in the next few months, uh, once we're able to kind of get, you know, some hires, once we're able to get our staff to grow, I'm hoping that some of these efforts can be, um, I'm hoping that some of these efforts could, could, could start sooner than later because we do have momentum right now. We're about to redo our stadium, which is huge. That can actually be a good starting point to get an excitement within the fan base, especially if you lower capacity, right? I, we've all heard that the stadium capacity is going to be decreased a little bit, which creates more demand because it's less seating. You know, you said it best, Josh, the best way to get fans in Lafayette to show up to your games is tell them they can't come. Well, guess what? The stadium capacity is decreasing, I would guess. So, well, Maybe it needs to be, be decreased to more than the number there. that's being reported, Jerry. I, I think it should be smaller than that. It should be Yulman Stadium-ish. But yeah. I digress. Ah, no, 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 no. No, no, no I'm not I'm talking about the about. erector set look. I'm talking about capacity. Oh, okay. 
Okay, I was about to, you had me worried for a second. I was like, wait, what? No, oh, hell no. I don't want to be like Tulane in anything. <laughs> but look, I, you know, going back to what uh, Daryl was saying, other teams, and I get it, you're going to have some some fans that, that find it easier to stay home and watch them on TV. My dad's 88 years old. He's not going to go out and, you know, try to get into the stadium. Have It's not going to do that. But again, other teams are dealing with the same problem and they're they're showing up and I'll tell you what, App State against UNC or App State against anybody, even on a midweek game, that stadium is going to be rocking and it's going to be full. We got to do better. That's just, you know, we got to do better as fans. We got to do better and we got to show up. Agree. Uh, Jared wants to know if we've hit the ceiling. I flashed it on the, on the stream there. I, I really don't think I really don't think we've hit the ceiling. I mean, listen, we were a bad half against Texas away from a New Year's Six Bowl. That's our ceiling. I mean, for as things are constructed now for the G5, that is the Super Bowl for us. But we don't have the schedule to be able to compete and get into the top 25 in the in the playoff. Uh, you know, Cincinnati just so happened to have the perfect situation. And I'm telling you, they're going to legislate things out. There will be no return for Cincinnati or any G5, I don't think, unless they totally revamp all of it. Uh, but as far as the ceiling, no, no. The ceiling is a New Year's Six Bowl, and we were a, a bad half against Texas from achieving that goal with really a team that I thought was not as good as the year prior. I thought we were better the year before that. So, well, no, we haven't hit our ceiling. I, I don't think that. Do you guys think that we've hit it? I mean, no, right? No, I mean, New Year's Six is our ultimate goal. And and from there, um, you know, depending on what the conference looks like, and I know you say Cincinnati, you know, is a one-time thing for the playoff, but – I'll be honest with you. I think that right now, uh, you know, if the New Year's Six tends to rotate year in and year out with different bowls, like the between the Cotton Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl. I mean, Josh, we talked about it the other night. I mean, you want to talk about a pinnacle. If you thought the first New Orleans Bowl was exciting, just imagine playing an SEC school in the Sugar Bowl. I mean, the Superdome two hours away. I mean, you thought the New Orleans Bowl attendance was great. Just imagine New Year's Day playing in a Sugar Bowl you know, a very historic bowl like that. I mean, that's, there's, there's P5 schools who haven't accomplished a feat like that. So yeah, I mean, do we, do we have room to make the, uh, to make a new year six? Absolutely. Now, granted things have to fall your way, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. And um, I'm going to, I I don't think so either. I'm. Is it scary where where it's going? Yes, it is scary. So I don't know what our ceiling will be in five years. I think our ceiling in five years might be competing for our own national championship because that seems to be the way the SEC wants it to be. So everybody should just follow suit. But I'm not going to get into that. Um. But but yeah, no, I don't. Th I agree. I think New Year's Six is right now where um we want to be, and I think it's where we can be, and um. And we'll see what happens. But no, definitely not our ceiling. I don't think so. <laughs> All right. We're going to bring Jerry in for the triumphant return of... Can I tell you what? And I get a theme song with it? Oh, man. That's a nice touch. I love it. I love it. All right. Man, it's good to be back on Man, I Tell You What. All right, so anyway, Man, I Tell You What. 
Just 84 days ago, we witnessed the final out of the season in the College Station Regional when the Louisiana Raging Cajun baseball team made its first postseason run in six years. But it also marked the end of the 2021-2022 Raging Cajun athletic season on the field. Since then, we have collectively taken time off as a fan base to enjoy the wonders of summer, whether it was going on a trip to the beach or to the mountains, whether it was watching your children play in a baseball tournament or participate in a dance recital, or whether it was just taking the time to decompress from sports as a whole and relax with your family. All of us got the chance to have our own time out before getting back into the grind. And now with volleyball and soccer underway, we are now in full swing for the 2022 and 2023 year. But guess what is just less than one week away? That's right. We've been talking about it for almost the last two hours. Raging Cajun football, which will kick off the 2022 football season at Cajun Field this Saturday against Southeastern Louisiana. Now, over the summer, as I had the chance to decompress with vacations and spending time with my growing family, I caught myself feeling a little anticipation. As we all know, the excitement begins in early August when we hear the news of the football team reporting for fall practice. It's a subtle way of saying that the time is near for football season. But before that, there was still a sense of joy in knowing that this coming football season would be unique to many of us. For example, this will be the first season where we will experience a new coaching staff upon a good portion of the old coaching staff leaving for a P5 school. Something that's really never happened here because as we all know in the past, a previous coaching staff was usually relieved of their duties the year before but not this time. This will also be the first time we go into the season with the nation's longest win streak at 13 games, a feat that is a chance to greatly be extended, as you said, Josh, starting on Saturday. But as well, there's also many questions. How will this new coaching staff do? How will our new starters step into their role? And will we, will we be able to continue our streak of winning the Western Division for the fifth year in a row? Now, there are legitimate questions that fan will ask upon a three-year run that has given us a co-conference championship, an outright conference championship, two season-ending top 25 rankings, and three bowl victories. Safe to say that it's the greatest stretch, or we're in the middle of our greatest stretch in our football program's history. But isn't it nice to have a benchmark like that to try to match going into Saturday? Now, in reference to that success, when I felt that anticipation I described over the summer, I went on YouTube during I went on YouTube during one of those times and found myself searching for some Cajun football highlights. And I landed upon one from the year 1997. It was a four-part video of our game against UAB at a very rainy and wet Cajun field. UAB had just jumped to the FBS a few years prior while the Cajuns were trying to find a win after an, a 0 or an 0-4 start. Guys like Jake DeLome had left us the year before, and Brandon Stokely had suffered a season-ending injury the week before at Texas A&M. And this game definitely showed it. For us, the game was over before it began. As I watched, I saw a Cajuns team that struggled to find an identity. I listened to a crowd that you barely knew was even there. Final score, Blazers 42, Cajuns 7. A few weeks later that year, the Cajuns would find themselves on the losing end of a four-overtime game against Division II North Alabama. 
and would finish the season 1-10. After watching this debacle, I then watched the replay of last year's conference championship game as I needed a lift. Talk about a total 180. The atmosphere was electric, the weather was perfect full of sun and sunshine, and the team, unlike the 1997 one, had only one loss for the entire season. And of course, we all know what ended up happening. We were the ones holding up a trophy when the clock struck zero. A tale of two programs, one in the year 1997 striving for survival, and another one in 2021 striving to maintain massive success. And here we are almost nine months later, still riding that same wave of success. So the point is simple. We have always wondered what it would be like to win consistently. Well, here's your answer because here we are. It's right in front of us. We have a football program looking to continue to grow and win big. And not to mention, everything about this football team embodies the spirit of South Louisiana. The hard work, the blue-collar grit, the hunger to want to be even better, and of course, like we always talk about in our baseball program, the grind. It's what the culture, as we like to describe it, is all about. Man, I tell you what. Last, I said that this were to be continued in 2022 upon our 13-1 season. Well, in less than one week, it will be here. Cajun Nation, we at Rage and Review would like to challenge you. Buy your tickets. Show up to Cajun Field. Wear your red. Be loud. Stay late. But most of all, support these guys who embody on the field who we are as a people. No longer are we the walking doormat like we were in that game against UAB 25 years ago. But now, the team that others want to be. Let's all play our part to keep this success alive. In that case, I'll see you Saturday. Go Cajuns. Last minute shout outs. Spencer Aragetti got called up to double A in the Astros organization, got his first strikeout this week. Pretty cool. Way to go, Spence. Hogan Harris got called up to triple A, and he'll be in the show soon enough. So, way to go, Hogan. TR did his first homer as a minor league ball player, he had a three RBI triple as well. So, shout out to TR. And of course, volleyball and soccer start the season with wins. So way to go, ladies. Keep it up. Everybody remember to subscribe, rate, review. Leave us some nice comments. Helps out the pod a whole lot. Check us out on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, The Gram. See you next week.